I'd like to focus today mainly on our first reading uh, from the uh, Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. And uh, there's a little, a little connection here with the gospel in that Jesus is receiving criticism. Jesus and his followers are receiving criticism from the Pharisees. They're kind of nitpicking their liturgical practices, basically, is what they're doing, and they're comparing them, contrasting, and they're being critical. Uh, but I think that's, that's the main thing that I want to focus on, which we see in the first uh, uh, reading from Corinthians. Uh, St. Paul says, It does not concern me in the least that I be judged by you or by any human tribunal. I don't even pass judgment on myself. Um, but that doesn't mean... You know, I says I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that doesn't mean much because it's the Lord who's got the last say. And uh, let's wait until He gives us the final judgment at the end of the world and end of history. He says, um, at that time, what's hidden in darkness will be manifest, and the secret motives of the human heart will be made known. Uh, and then everybody will receive their their due reward, praise or blame. And um, so we have this kind of caution not to judge. Uh, and that's a really, really important and deep, profound um, truth of Christianity, a human truth, really a moral truth. Uh, but we got to get this right. And first, let me let me say um, that the Bible. I'm going to do a little Bible thumping today, if you don't mind. Here, okay. Um, the the Bible is uh, it's the Word of God, and if you've got a passage that see, that says one thing. You know, the way that you can uh, guard yourself from going too far in a certain direction of that passage is by balancing it against other passages in the Bible. So it's the Bible as a whole, it's the totality of the Bible that you need to reference when understanding any given passage. If you take a certain uh, verse out of its context, you can make it say almost anything you want. You know, you can read, you can misinterpret it. You can read into it certain um, uh, meanings that it doesn't actually have. And the way that you make sure, you know, you guard against doing that is by comparing it and contrasting it with other passages in the Bible. That's what's called in our tradition. It's called the analogy of Scripture, meaning that you compare one passage to another passage and you try to get the total picture. So it's not about folk, you know, kind of fixating on one passage and then. Uh, you know, taking it, to, you know, reading things into it, but you got to put it in context. Um, that's true, especially because the Bible is inspired. But even if you were to just regard, to take say, First Corinthians, and you were to regard it just from a historical and a literary point of view, say you weren't a Christian, you didn't really necessarily believe the Bible is inspired. You'd still want to take the totality, you know, even from that perspective. You want to take the totality of First Corinthians. You want to look at what Paul's saying as a whole. Okay, and you want to give him a charitable read. You don't want to assume right off the bat that he's going to contradict himself, that he's a moron, that he's stupid, that he, you know, he says one thing and he says the exact opposite a chapter later. So here he is cautioning us in Corinthians um, uh, chapter four uh, not to judge. Okay, but look what he says in chapter five. <clears throat> now he's dealing here. There's a there's a pastoral issue going on. A really serious issue of sexual immorality that's taking place. Um, I guess there's a man in the Corinthian community who his stepmother, um, his stepmother and his dad have kind of split up, and he's moved in with his stepmother. Okay, and he's living with her in a kind of inappropriate relationship. And so Paul catches wind of that, and what does he say? Uh, For though absent in body. 
I'm present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral men, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy or robbers or idolaters, since then you'd have to go out of the world itself. You couldn't even go to the marketplace, right? Uh, but rather I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's immoral. So it, what I'm saying here is, you know, we've got this passage in today's lectionary from chapter 4 where Paul is saying don't judge. A chapter later, he's pronouncing judgment. What's going on here? How do we understand this, right? So, again, even just from a literary point of view, you don't want to assume Paul is contradicting himself or that he's stupid or something like that. And then especially since this is, we believe as Christians, this is an inspired text. And so we want to take all of the biblical passages, put them together, kind of balance them out and see what we can do to reconcile them and see what the, what the logical connection is. And I think the way to do that is simply to say this. Paul uh, was, you know, in context here, historically, he was receiving a lot of criticism from the Corinthians because maybe he was kind of short, you know. Uh, he kind of had a big nose. And this is true. I guess there's an ancient testimony to say that Paul was kind of, he, he was kind of a goofy-looking guy. He wasn't super, you know, impressive physically. Um, uh, they were comparing him to Apollos, who was another evangelist at the time. They were comparing him to St. Peter, who maybe cut a little more impressive figure. I don't know. And uh, they're saying, you know, Paul is kind of like his letters. Yeah, this guy can write some serious letters, but when he preaches, oh my gosh, this guy can't preach to get himself out of a paper bag. So he's receiving those kinds of criticisms, okay, and they're comparing and contrasting him with other, other favorite teachers and preachers and whatnot. And so he's saying, well, okay, hold on, guys, hold on. Don't be too hasty in your judgment in these sorts of things, okay? And he says, you know, they're, you know, all the different ministers of God, they have done their certain work. You know, I laid the foundation. These other guys came in after me. They're building upon it. But at the end of the, at the, end of the history, when God comes to judge everybody, their work is going to be judged as is mine. And we've got to wait until that time, so be patient. So, so Paul is receiving a lot of nitpicking criticism. And he's saying, don't judge in that sense, okay? Um, and, uh, but then at the same time here, Paul is a, is a legitimately constituted authority who has to exercise judgment over someone uh, who's very seriously in error in their community. Okay, so he's got to do that. So we've got to have a kind of a nuanced and balanced approach. You know, sometimes it's, we take a simplistic approach. We quote Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says, do not be judged lest you be judged. And so next thing you know, well, you can't ever, you know, say something's a sin or someone who's in a position of authority can't correct someone. Okay, so that's taking Jesus' words too far. And in fact, even when we go to Jesus' own words, you know, this is in Matthew 7, it's a famous passage. He says, do not judge, lest you be judged. He says, but he goes on and he says, why do you notice the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't even notice the log that's in your own eye? So what, what Jesus is speaking against is the same kind of issue that Paul is dealing with. People are nitpicking. They, got, they see a speck in Paul's eye. But all along, they got this dude who's sleeping with his stepmom. 
He's got a log, they got a log in their eye. Okay? So we have a tendency to notice the small faults in others and to be very conveniently oblivious to our own faults, even sometimes when they're very grave faults. And in fact, sometimes the graver fault, the more tendency we have to really ignore it, not to talk about it, sweep it under the carpet, and then criticize little tiny things in others that we see. So there's a, there's a false judgment, judgmentalism, and then there's righteous judgment that we need to exercise as Christians. So what are, what are some of the, the, the false judgmentalism that we shouldn't do? We should not take someone's actions, our, our neighbor's actions, uh, uh, someone outside the church or someone within the church um, or a leader or whatever, we shouldn't take their actions that are basically neutral or good and then put the worst construction on them, meaning try to attribute to their motives something bad. Oh, they just did that because of X, Y, and Z. And try to assume that we know their motives. Okay, Trying to judge these sort of invisible um, uh, interior movements of a human heart. Because remember, Paul is saying, the secret motives of the heart will be, will be revealed in the last day. So we shouldn't put uh, you know, uncharitable interpretations on people's actions. What else should we not do? What else is a bad form of judgmentalism? Uh, we shouldn't take, you know, we got to really ask ourselves, is it really our place to be judging people? We might see someone who has a real fault. I mean, there's a real fault that they have. Uh, and it's external, it's public, it's evident. Uh, it might be venial, it might be uh, serious. But in any event, you got to ask yourself, really, what good does it do to judge a person and criticize them? I mean, am I in that place? That, is it really going to help anything? You know, or am I just kind of like satisfying my own sense of self-righteousness and my own, you know, petting my own ego and that, that kind of a thing? So that's another kind of judgmentalism that we really need to avoid as Christians. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have a tendency, a very, in a very hypocritical way, to notice the small faults in others, but not the big ones in ourselves. So we really got to judge ourselves first and foremost. And that's the kind of judgmentalism that we need to avoid uh, and, and um, have that lack of judgmentalism, a just lack of judgmentalism for, as from a Christian point of view. But what, on the other hand, though, is, is a legitimate uh, judgment, though, that as Christians... Um, should be exercised or can be exercised. Well, first of all, there's something called fraternal correction. Okay, And our Lord deals with this in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell it to someone else right away. No, 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 wait, he doesn't say that. If your brother sins against you, go and speak to who? To, to him. Okay, alone. Just you and him. All right? And see if you can win him over. If he doesn't, if he doesn't listen to you, that's when you bring a second. You don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> you bring just one other witness, okay? If he doesn't listen to them, then Jesus says, then bring it to the church, okay? Then there's then there's an authority issue that comes into play, all right? And, if he's, and then Christ says, if he doesn't listen to the church, then there's you know disciplinary actions. The church over the centuries has exercised her authority to uh, to do to take disciplinary actions less and 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 less. You know, probably in the in America, American bishops have you know exercising this power of excommunication. I don't know. I think I heard of one incident like in the past fifty years where there was a group of people. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Actually, right here in our own diocese, Bishop Clark had to. 
had to uh, excommunicate a, a, a whole parish that was really going off the deep end. That incident I know of, and then I know of uh, an incident in Wisconsin. That's the only instance I know of, like in the past, we're talking 60, 70 years. So the, the church exercises this kind of, um, you know, the real severe uh, recourse of excommunication only very, very rarely. And, and as history goes on, less and less and less and less it's exercised. Uh, but the point is the power is still there, and sometimes, um, you know, there can be situations in which it needs to be exercised. It's always medicinal. Notice in that very strange passage that needs to be kind of interpreted correctly in Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What's that mean? But so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What he's saying there is this. Remove this guy, okay, excommunicate him, and so it's basically like the, the devil has got more power over people outside the church. That's the beautiful thing about being a member of the church and being in full communion and being in good standing in the church. You have protection against a lot of forces of evil. Okay? When you're outside of that protection, you know the devil can kind of play with you a little bit more. And uh, so Paul says, put him outside the protection, that spiritual and visible protection of the church, so that the devil can basically take this guy and, and, and cause him serious trouble. He's going to get a disease, a sexually transmitted disease. What is he going to happen? He's going to get in some kind of financial issue. Maybe his dad is going to come back with a shotgun and you know shoot him in the kneecaps or something like that. All right? Who knows? But that's that's what Paul's talking about. Hand him over, okay, for the destruction of the flesh. Because when that negative stuff happens to people, sometimes they come around and they start saying, "Oh, wait a second, I got to really get my act together." And so then they repent, and then their spirit can be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. So whenever there's a kind of a, a tough recourse that the church has to take towards someone, it's always medicinal. It's always for the, per- the person's, not their ultimate punishment and exclusion, but it's for their correction and for their salvation. Uh, what else do we need to exercise judgment in? Well, we've got to exercise judgment when it comes to discernment. Jesus, right after he says, uh, do not judge lest you be judged, just a few verses after he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. You will know them by their fruits. So he's saying, beware of people who come and start teaching certain things in the name of God that very well could be false and misleading. And how do you know whether or not they're... You've got to exercise judgment of some sort. You've got to be able to look at their fruits in their life. Are they living up to the words that they say? Okay, so that's a kind of a discernment that we exercise. Um, St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, test all things. John in 1 John chapter 4 says, test the spirits to see whether or not they're of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Um, so, my brothers and sisters, I just kind of place this all before you. This is a little bit of an extensive talk this morning, I realize, much longer than I would have normally gone. But I, I just, uh, I think it's, it's apropos, um, it's appropriate, concer- um, considering St. Paul's words here in Corinthians today, to kind of take a, a more mature, well-rounded view of uh, the Christian principle of being non-judgmental. Uh, we, there is a, a just uh, sphere where we can exercise judgment, um, and then legitimate authorities can exercise judgment. Uh, but then, really, though, there's uh, in the vast majority of cases, we need to suspend our judgment, and we need to uh, uh, especially refrain from you know, attributing bad motives to people and their actions and judging their hearts, okay? That's that kind of stuff. That's the invisible motives of the heart, and, and that will be revealed and made manifest 
at the end when God, the supreme and final judge, uh, will make it clear um, at the end of the day.